you may be seated. Uh, good morning. It is so good, like as we just did the greeting, how loud it is in here. And you may not know how awkward it is when you're trying to tell people something and they can't hear you. So Charlie, good job. Um, Brandy and Pat and Dunn are in the house. I, um, I see some people that I know have been looking forward to be here since we planted and they haven't been able to. Uh, with with COVID and, and getting vaccinated. And so it is good to see some of you that are here this morning. And then as always, if you're a guest, um, we really are happy that you're here with us worshiping. So uh, my name is John Turner. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, by way of introduction into our sermon this morning, I went to Texas A&M University. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was the black sheep in my family. My whole family went to, to UT, so they did not whoop when I went to A&M. Um, I may be the black sheep of now this church congregation, depending on how you feel, but um, I, I had come to faith a year before um, going off to college. I had come to faith in, in Jesus in a pretty profound way, and so I ended up, some would say maybe I saw the light, I ended up at A&M, and as I went there, I got plugged into a, a Christian fraternity. I only knew two older guys at the whole school, and they happened to be in this fraternity, and so I joined it as a freshman, and, and part of the way of kind of not initiation by any means, so don't think that, but just getting to know one another is all the existing members of the organization. As a new person came in, part of the requirement was you were to spend time with the active members, uh, get to know them. We called them SIGs because you had to get their signature on a book. And so sometimes you would pair off with some friends um, and go meet some older actives and have fun and do something silly. And sometimes you'd sit across the table and have a meal. And I'll never forget, you know, I'd been a Christian maybe a year and I'll never forget one of the actives sitting across from me. And we were kind of having a good time, having lunch, just hanging out. And then he, he looks at me and says, all right, John Turner, who are you? I remember thinking like, okay, I'm John Turner. I'm from Houston. Uh, I, my parents are here, here, here. And just started telling him a little bit about myself. He says, no, 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 who are you? And I remember thinking like, dude, I just told you who I am. And... And he started to, to force me to really think about that question. And what he was forcing me to think about was an identity question. Who do I say that I am? And how do I make that statement? How do I make that claim on my life? And it was interesting. It was kind of this trial for me to really think about, man, who am I? And, and I would love, I'd love for you to think about that question this morning of who are you? Who would you say that you are? Not who you're related to per se or what you do for a living, but who are you? And you see, we're going through a series in this Lent season leading up to Easter, walking through the seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John about Jesus. And these I am statements are identity statements about Jesus. That Jesus does not want to, to not be clear. He wants people to know who he is and why he has come. And so we're going over these the next couple of weeks. Last week we started with John 6, I am the bread of life. And this week we're starting with a very well-known one, that I am the light of the world. And so this morning, we're going to look at John 8, uh, verse 12, and really just unpack that claim. And what I want to do is I want to look first at uh, this concept of light. What, what is it about light? Why is this important? But two, I, I really want to hone in on Jesus makes a very exclusive claim. It is a very exclusive claim. And he also makes a very inclusive call. And I want us to look at that this morning, and I believe that as we do, as we think and reflect on who Jesus is, that we come away changed, and as we'll see this morning, we come into being more of who we actually were made to be. And so first, if, if you just looked, uh, Lauren, thank you for reading uh, John 8, Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. 
So this, this light theme is, is rich throughout the scriptures. So just for somebody in his original audience, as he said this, this, this came to mind a lot of different things in their mind. And you see, John, in the Gospel of John, light comes up 23 different times in the Gospel. All other Gospels combined, the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it only comes up 13 times, light. But in John, 21 times. Now, the number of references alone doesn't necessarily mean that maybe we should pay more and more special attention. But as we read in John 1, what John does in the prologue of his gospel really hits home that the light is a very important theme that we're supposed to catch, up, catch on. Because he, he intros the gospel very uniquely than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The other three gospels intro by way of genealogies or birth stories or the introduction of John the Baptist on the scene. But as you heard this morning, the way John opens his gospel is really unique. And, and, and primarily, the first thing, if you just look up here, is he, he wants you to catch on that the first three words of the Gospel of John is in the beginning. Now, for the, the early day present person who heard Jesus' claim or read this Gospel, they went right to one place. And for anybody in here that knows the Scriptures, we too should be recalled to a certain place. And that place is Genesis 1.1. That the beginning of the Scriptures, right, it says in the beginning. And, and, and he wants to make clear that there is a creation connection here, that this Jesus who has come on the scene has not been created, that he has a relationship with the Father that far precedes creation, and more so than that, that he actively was the one that brought the earth and the world into existence. Now, there is some clearness there, but obviously as we start thinking about the Trinity, there is some complexity there, and I'm going to save that sermon for Charlie, (laughs) but we cannot miss what he is saying right? He is claiming to be God. And John is pinning it, claiming to say, this is God. I mean, it is a, it is a mind-blowing statement that he makes. But there's also a beautiful thing that he's doing, not just saying he's the creator God, but if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, it says this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What is so fascinating and that we are not supposed to miss here about Jesus and about the introduction to John is that he not only is saying Jesus is the creator God, but there is a creation act going on in John 1. That there is a darkness and a void and a formlessness over the face of the earth now, but it's not because people and things haven't been created. It's because sin has entered and it has marred people made in the image of God. There is darkness over the the world And we're going to further this statement and look into that this morning, but don't miss it. Jesus is coming, and it is a new creation act. That he is literally breathing the breath of God back into creation so that they could be restored to God. A new creation is taking place as Jesus comes on the scene. And so as you just walk through the scriptures in the Old Testament, this this concept of light, you know, means creation. It means wisdom. It means righteousness. It means salvation. But what's incredible as well about this statement about light, just like last week talking about bread, is whether you have any concept of the scriptures and all of that stuff that is going on here, it is also a concept that we very much understand from just a practical level. For many of us, a couple weeks ago, as Charlie mentioned already, we lost power. We weren't planning to lose power, but we lost it, and some of us to different extents. I think we realize the inconvenience of just not having light and not having power. Some of us, again, more so than others. You know, I think about this concept of light 
Claire and I, before we moved down here, we were in New England. And when we moved to New England, I don't know if you know this, but in the wintertime, it not only is cold, but it gets dark at 4.30 p.m. And I remember just going and being like, man, this is kind of depressing. Like, it kind of, in my mind, I, I'm maybe thinking Texas summers, but it feels like the middle of the day, and it's dark now. And if you're not careful, if you don't kind of be serious about a certain routine and, and get out and do some things in the light, that, that, that kind of darkness early will kind of lull you into a depression. There's a very real thing that I know many experience even here that's seasonal depression. That as the season changes and as there's less light, that it affects our sleep patterns. It, accept, it, it affects our mentality. It literally lulls us into a, a depression. And, you know, Jesus takes this term about light, whether you know the scriptures or just your own practical life, and says, we all need light to live. And he takes that claim upon himself. And so the first thing I want to look at here is this claim, uh, just looking at the start of that verse where he says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light. This is an exclusive claim. That Jesus does not say, I am a light. He does not claim to be one of many. He claims to be the only one. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard of the parable of the, the six blind men and the elephant. It goes back, I'm sure it's been told many different ways, but somebody will tell a story like this saying, hey, there were six blind men, they heard about an elephant, they had never experienced, obviously never seen, and never touched. But they each six went to touch the elephant and meet an elephant at different times, and they all touched different parts of the elephant, right? Somebody touched the leg, the tail, the, the trunk, the ear, and they all thought that they were touching the elephant. And so they described what it felt like, what the elephant is, and they come back to, to one another and they have this meeting about, you know, hey, here's what an elephant's like. And they all had had different experiences. And, it, you know, they end up coming to blows over it and they end up realizing, oh, wow, this elephant's a lot bigger than we realized. It's not just this. It's this, 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 and this. And so the whole moral of the story, uh, this one website says, the blind man and the elephant is an ancient parable used today as a warning for people that promote absolute truth or exclusive religious claims. The simple reason is that our sensory perceptions and life experiences can lead to limited access and overreaching misinterpretations. How can a person with limited touch of reality turn that into the one and only version of reality? And I think we all know in this room, exclusive claims, really anything at this point, is, makes people uncomfortable. But we cannot miss what Jesus is saying here this morning. He is making a very exclusive claim. I am the light, the only one that there is. And he can do that in some ways. If you think about this elephant in a room, that Jesus is saying, before the elephant came, I came. I have the perception. I see everything, right, as the creator, that he can make that claim unlike anyone else. And he says, at the, the second half of that John 8 through 12 statement, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What Jesus says is that if you know my light, you will experience life, real life. That in a sea of counterfeit claims, Jesus promises and claims to be the only way to life. And, you know, as we kind of walk through our daily life and the different claims that can be put on us of where to find life, and like I just said about exclusivity, inclusivity is, is an important thing, and we're going to touch on that. Um, but inclusivity often promises the way into that is by being, right, educated enough. We've got to be educated on more things so that we can kind of, you know, finally reach this enlightenment and, and be inclusive. For, for some of us, this claim on what life will bring me is, right, the next promotion I get. 
If I can just have more, if I can just be promoted into the next job, then I will have X, Y, and Z, and I'll be good. For some of us, especially in this last season of of not much travel, we're just like, man, if I can just go on a few more vacations, my soul would be made right if I could just go out and sit on a beach under the sun and have more vacations. You can fill in the blank there, but we all do it. Whether you have followed Jesus for a long time or you're not following Jesus this morning, we all have these things that we believe that if we just would get that, then it would finally hit the mark that I've been longing for. And what Jesus says this morning is that everybody in here will reach a ceiling on whatever it is in your life that you're looking for if it's not in Christ alone because it's not what you were made for. And that exclusive claim is one that is to not be missed. But as I said, there is a very inclusive element to this unlike any other claim. That Jesus says, I am the light, but he says what? I am the light of the world, the cosmos, Everything that I lay claim to every, every person, I am, everybody who was made by God for God. It's a very, very inclusive, inclusive claim. Um, and, and what's interesting too, again, if we know our scriptures, that for the Israelites and for the people that heard this in John 8, the, the present context, they struggled with this. Israel, right, in the Old Testament were the people of God, and I think they very much missed the reality at times that they were blessed to be a blessing to the nations. That was always the plan. And so again, as we get to Acts, we see the struggle take place as Jews became believers in Jesus. They struggled to really understand this concept of how are now the Gentiles included in this. And, and Jesus has always had the cosmic sm- scope at, uh, as the plan. But the inclusiveness is not just that he is the God of the world. The inclusiveness actually comes with the pronouncement of darkness. Because he says that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And we can't miss that. Because this is where it can make some people feel uncomfortable. The inclusive claim of this is that outside of Jesus Christ, every single person you come into contact with is living in darkness. Jesus makes that claim this morning. And again, there's a beauty in that in the sense that unlike any other club, organization, or or call on your life, there is no upper hand by who uh, you are, what you do for a living, the connections you have, the place that you're born in. Now, even as we recognize this morning with Kevin, obviously there is a call on the followers of Jesus to have the light go to the world. There are people in places that do not have the scriptures in their language, that have not heard the gospel, and that is true. But by being here, born in America, being born in a close proximity to the gospel and hearing it does not give you necessarily an upper hand in receiving it, that we are all born in darkness. And Jesus says, I'm the only way to life and I'm the only way to light. Now, this inclusive call of Jesus as well should probably remind us of one of the most famous and for many most popular verses in the Bible, which would be what? Nice. I didn't know you were going to say anything. John 3.16 is one of the most famous, right? It's an inclusive call where he says, uh, whoever would believe, right? For God so loved the world that whoever would believe that he would give life and give eternal life to now, what might not be as popular as the next few verses, if you would look up John 3, 17 through 19, says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. When I was 
a teenager. I, I grew up on this street. It was a pretty busy street, and there was a, uh, a speed bump right in front of our house. Just happenstance, my next-door neighbor had this tree that grew some baseball-looking fruit. And me and my best friend at the time were like, I mean, this is just God's providence. Like, we're literally supposed to pick these things, hide behind the bushes in our front yard, and throw these things at cars. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think we had thought through to the extent of all that that means. We just were like, this sounds like a fun afternoon. And so we grabbed these fruit, we hide behind the bush, and, and I'll never forget the first time I hit a car. The car comes up, hits the speed bump, slows down, and you kind of got to time it as they speed back up. And, I mean, I just nailed it. And, again, I, I didn't really think past that moment, but the car hits the brakes, so I definitely didn't think that would happen, and then they hit reverse. And as they hit reverse, I realized, oh, wow, I think they're going to come try to find me. <laughs> and so me and my best friend, we run inside my house. My dad's not home. And there was just this natural inclination. We were already inside my house with a locked door, but some reason we went into the back bedroom, my room, and we got into my closet and shut the door. And so here's like two 16-year-old boys hiding in a closet with somebody knocking on our door. But in a real way, there was just something comforting about the darkness as I was trying to hide. I was already hiding behind my house and the door, and he couldn't come in. But just getting into that room, there was something cozy about that darkness. And what Jesus says here this morning is that we are born and we love the darkness. And for me, when I was 16 years old, I didn't know that I loved the darkness, but I loved it. And I was living my life for whatever I wanted, the momentary satisfaction of a 16-year-old. But what began to happen is as I began to pursue those things that I thought would give me what I wanted, the boundary began to be pushed more and more in my life to where I found myself down roads I never would have thought I'd go down. And in the summer before I turned 17 years old, it was in that moment that God and the light of the world shined into my heart. But here's the thing, it didn't feel good at first. I felt exposed for all of who I knew that I was. I felt like every dark corner of my, my heart began to become laid bare. I realized for the first time in my life that I didn't need someone to tell me I was a sinner. I felt it at a very core level. I knew I was not who I was supposed to be. But man, as the light shone into my light, my, my, everything changed. I, for the first time, feel like I recognize, man, I have been living in darkness because I have not been living what I was made to live for, which is God. And that Jesus' light is a beautiful thing. But the question this morning for us, and, and for some of us, and some of us watching is, have you walked into that light? Have you experienced the light of the world in your life? Because we do, we, we love the darkness. And um, Jesus says that there is only one way to fully live, and he's it. And, and so for some of us this morning, as we followers of Jesus for a long time, you know, one, I just want you to know that as we start this church and get planted, this is why we're planting churches. This is why we're here. We believe the light of the world is shining, and it is our responsibility to partner with him in that, in this community and beyond. That we're not to be an exclusive club. We're not just primarily to be about our own fellowship and friendship. That we are to be an outward-facing people because that is who God is in Jesus Christ. And again, I, I want to touch on a little bit of this, this concept of darkness. One last time, John 8, 12, he says that he's the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, I don't know about you. I think I'm walking with Jesus but I also know that I have experienced what I, what I feel to be walking in darkness. So what about for the follower of Jesus that feels like, no, darkness seems very present. 
It feels like it's creeped more and more into my life. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm not walking with Jesus? Is something wrong with you? You know, I was just looking at the British Medical Journal is kind of doing some reports on, in light of COVID, some of the results of that with, with mental health and suicide. And as you may not be shocked by, the numbers are up, right? Darkness is seemingly rolling forward all around us and maybe in your own heart and in your own life. And interesting enough, interestingly enough that John 8, the context here of John 7 and 8 is that Jesus is at one of the main biggest festivals in the Jewish calendar year, religious festivals. It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Along with what we know, the Passover and uh, the Feast of the Ingathering. These three are the really big ones in the scriptures in terms of God's people celebrating. And, And what all three of those are connected to celebrating is the Exodus story in our Old Testament. That God called a people out of slavery. The, the, the Israelites were under Egyptian slavery and bondage to them. God redeemed them out of that, brought them through. They were going to the promised land, but through the wilderness. And as Charlie mentioned last week about the bread of life, we know that there was much complaining and groaning at times. They actually wanted to go back into slavery and bondage. Hear this this morning. We very much are in the same boat That for those of us on this side, as we've talked about Jesus, this new creation, we have been called out of bondage and slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin and death. That everybody who's in Jesus has been pulled out of that bondage, and they are being brought to the new heavens and the new earth. They're being brought into God's kingdom, but it is not fully here yet. That if you feel darkness around you, much like the Israelites, that's because it is. That God has ushered in his kingdom, but it is not fully here that there is a present reality of darkness around us. God says that, you know, again, biblical, just this term, that, that the world is the domain of Satan, that he's the ruler of the darkness. And so there's a sense that if you're experiencing that, you're not alone, but there is a sense that darkness, depending on how we are living our life, and we've talked about this with the mask series, this is why it's so important to live in authentic community. Because Jesus doesn't expect you to not have some of this stuff. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. But what he does expect you is to expose the darkness in your life and step into the light. And when we begin to choose to conceal over that, what will begin to happen is we will begin to become more and more in love with that darkness. We will hide. We will retreat. And again, as we said, that is where Satan does his work. So darkness, I, I, just in the last year again, just some of the unfortunate circumstances of a pandemic and Whatever the world in in your job or your life, the discontentment that comes up, man, all of that stuff can really begin to make our hearts jaded. Jaded towards faith, God, he feels distant. And so for some of us this morning, it's just the reminder of the call to step into the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who is here and he is alive and he is active. Um. And and just as as we close this morning, I, I want, I do hope that you know you're, you're not in bad company if you feel that you're in darkness. But there's also this sense of darkness that as we're in it, we can lose awareness that we are. I, I couldn't help but think of this image of, you know, after you've slept all night in a dark room and you remember that first light you turn on and it's just kind of jarring. And I can kind of do some of my things in the dark and not have to turn on a light, but Claire, on the other hand, for some reason, needs to have all the lights on to do anything. And so it's just like, oh my gosh. And there's a sense it's because we've been asleep. We've been, you know, in the dark. And the thing about the darkness is we can begin to be living in that and really not fully be aware of it. And that is the danger of this call as well that Jesus wants to remind us of. And and just again, as we close, 
um, thinking about Jesus being the light of the world, I can imagine that his disciples very much felt like darkness was winning. That this was the man they had hitched their wagon to. This was who they had stocked and put all of their faith and hope in. And here he is, right after this, he begins the procession of people wanting to stone him because he's made a claim at divinity. And they eventually get a hold of him. And he is arrested, and he is stripped, and he is mocked, and he is spit on. And you've got to think about what the disciples felt like. This is the guy I hitched my wagon to? I left everything to follow this guy. And that man ended up being stripped, beaten, mocked on a cross. And they watched it. And again, think about what Jesus claims about himself, that he is the light of the world, the one who actually formed the world. And he is on a cross looking at his creation, taking that. And his disciples leave on that Friday night, and you can imagine they were discouraged, and far more than discouraged, they were hopeless. Darkness had seemingly won. And yet we know how the story ends. We know that Sunday comes, and in this Lent season, we are looking forward to that story. But that is the ultimate stamp that darkness will never win out. That Jesus, the light of the world, is coming back. And that he has already defeated death, and he has defeated that for us, for those that look on to Jesus. And so I'm going to invite Charlie up here. We're going to take communion, but just right before we do that, you know, Jesus and John A., uh, will say to this Pharisee group who don't like the things he's claiming. He says that when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And again, Jesus is referencing a passage from Isaiah 52, the suffering servant that says, behold, my servant shall act wisely and he will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. What is mind blowing about the gospel is that the Jews, when they heard this, when they read this passage, what they thought about exaltation was that Jesus would come He would usher in his kingdom, the nations would fall in line, and the glory to Jerusalem would be restored. But Jesus quotes that passage because for him, exaltation would come by way of humiliation on a cross. And they couldn't wrap their mind around it. We need not lose the beauty and the just un... It's it's mind-blowing what the claim of Christianity is and what the claim of Jesus is, is that the light of the world took on darkness in order that we might be restored to God and that this new creation might happen in your life and to those around us. I'm, I'm, I'd like to pray for us and, um, as we think about the elements that we're gonna take and the way that this connects with us. Father, I, I thank you for this morning, Lord Jesus, um, that for some of us in the room this morning, we don't really know where we are. We don't know what sense of light or darkness is kind of in or around us, Lord, but I know for many, we have felt discouraged. We have felt doubt. We have felt um, just at the end of our ceiling. We've hit it. And God, I know that this morning into that space that you are inviting us to look to the light of the world who has shown and who is coming again and who can make paths straight for those that look to him. Father, I pray that you would renew those of us in this this morning in this room that are followers of Jesus, maybe for a long time, but feel cold and feel like they've in some ways just lost it. Would they feel, even if nothing has been heard this morning, as we come to this table and what that represents, the good news of God's love for us, the light of the world who had his body and his blood shed for us, God, may we be renewed and restored in that. And so Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John.